welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. First Corinthians chapter 12, let's read this. I'm going to go through some of this fast. I'm going to slow down where it needs to slow down. This is a very familiar passage. We're in the, 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 give, uh, the series called The Empowering Presence. If you're following along, we're talking about the ministry and the person of the Holy Spirit. So check this out. This is Paul writing to the church of Corinth. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Paul's talking to a local church. The Holy Spirit is given to individuals in the church for the common good. Okay, for that's the purpose. And he'll go on to say it's to build up, to encourage, to comfort, to strengthen the church. That's what the gifts are for. And then he gets specific. He's like, to one, there's a given through the Spirit, a message of wisdom to another, a message of knowledge by the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by that one spirit. And he goes on, he talks about miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between the spirit, speaking in different tongues. Next week, John Mark Comer's here preaching on the gift of tongues. So you don't want to miss next week. And then the following week, we're going to talk about prophecy. Today, we're going to focus in on this gift in particular, the gifts of healing. So Paul gives us four different places, Romans, 1 Corinthians, twice, and in Ephesians, where he talks about these lists of gifts. And they're different. It's not comprehensive. There's not like this exhaustive list he's, he's writing about. In some ways, and I don't know if this is theologically accurate, but this is my sense, is Paul's like in a hurry saying, here are some of those things. And then he's going on. And then in Romans, he says something else. But the es- essence is that these are actual gifts from the Spirit. So these are not to be associated with fruit. They're different. That's grown by the Spirit. Gifts are given by the Spirit. And gifts are supernatural impartations and empowerment. Okay? So we're not talking about talent. We're not talking about a personality profile that you can take online and figure out what your supernatural spiritual gift are. Okay? And we've already talked about God wants to give gifts based on the missional need of the moment. Right? And so if you missed that talk, please go to that, that, that talk to understand the framework for why I think we have access to all of the gifts. Now, we, can, we all have strengths, though. We all can operate out of a supernatural gift because of God's sovereignty. God has given me a gift of preaching. Um, and, and God, I know that when I preach, I'm, I'm doing what God created me to do. I know that it's something that I can work on and grow in talent-wise, but also there are moments where it's anointed. I know that because there are some sermons that I'm like, God did something, and there are other sermons where I'm like, it was a base hit. I barely got on base, and I put a lot of energy in it, and I forgot that there's a partnership going on, but that, that happens all the time, and we can grow in these gifts in the same way that we grow in other things through practice. Are you with me? So Paul, I want to, has some, some oh, let, me, let me make sure I get my notes. So this is the only gift that's plural, and it's gifts of healing, okay? So one author says, this is the only gift that is gifts. Thus, the one who receives such gifts does not directly perform the healings, Rather, he simply transmits the gifts, the delivery boy who brings the gifts to others. That's what we get to be. And I just want to say right now, some of you have gifts of healing in this church, and it's time and to remember the gifts that you have been given. You have to be doing this regularly. 
And that's the whole point of this sermon today is I've been struggling to figure out why has God put this on my heart so often to talk about healing so frequently. Because I feel like I pray all the time. Even today, I'm praying for my boy, not seeing anything. Tylenol's doing more. But I, I believe in it so much, but I'm realizing maybe this, this conviction is to activate the church to be church. Because I need you to go after it. I need you to show up in hospitals if this is what God continues to do in your life. And there are some of you who have prayed for cancer and watched it disappear who have prayed on planes for people and watched neck braces get taken off. It's time to activate the gifts. Are you doing all right? Paul carries some basic expectations for the local church. And here's one, that the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit are a natural part of ordinary church life. How are we doing? James chapter five says this, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders or pastors of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. It's that simple. Interesting, right? It continues though. I love this. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. There's so much here, like this connection between healing and confession and forgiveness. There's something there. I always say that oftentimes we can prevent the flow of God by holding on to unforgiveness. If we want to be a church that sees the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our city and revival, we need to be people with, who are regularly forgiving others and not harboring unforgiveness in our, in our, between each other, but also others as well. But anyways, James also carries some expectations of ordinary church life. James expects healing to take place within the local church. There should be prayer, there should be praise, and there should be healing for the sick in the local church. We have right, if not a mandate, to pray for the sick I believe there is a real sense in which we are called to pray for the sick. God can cure cancer as easily as he can heal a cold. That's from R.T. Kendall. So these are the expectations that the early church fathers, um, the apostles carried. Do we carry biblical expectations of church life or cultural expectations of church life? So I don't know where you come from today. I don't know what background you have within the church world, either church life or non-church life you come from. But for me, um, maybe you are like me. I came from a church tradition that said the, the gifts of the Spirit um, died out when the apostles died and the Bible was canonized. Cessationist view. Now, that's not a biblical perspective. So I later believed, later on in my study of theology, I believed actually the gifts are for today. But I didn't grow up or I wasn't a part of a community that expected that or taught that. So for me, my logical conclusion where supernatural gifts are super unordinary. They're extraordinary and they happen mostly in third world countries. Um, and so that was my perspective. But also what I, what I came to believe because it fit my experience was that suffering... Um, 
was a part of God's plan to make us more like Jesus. So why would we pray for healing if what God does is want to use that suffering to make us more like Christ? Now there's truth to this. There's truth to that reality because Jesus died on the cross and that was the middle and the center of God's will for Jesus. Does that make sense? And for most of us, we know what suffering looks like. Um, And I believe it's true because God will use all things for his good. He will use everything in your life to, to make it good. Now, I don't believe he caused it, right? His intention wasn't suffering. And if you don't know this, listen to old sermons in the past. His design was perfection and wholeness and sickness and death and cancer and bowel problems and 106 fevers at 3 a.m. was not a part of the original plan, just so you know. And the work that you see from Genesis 3 to Revelation is God restoring life in the garden back to his original plan. All of creation will experience wholeness. So when we say that supernatural gifts are here and they're for today, but they only happen in other places, that's not biblical either, right? Um, There's some truth about the suffering, which we'll get to in a little bit because we live in the now and not yet reality. But what we know is that God's desire is to bring healing and wholeness for all people once and for all. How do we know that? Well, there's the end of the story doesn't end with our death. It ends with Jesus coming back and restoring all of creation. So at some point, whether in this time or in the age to come, everything will be restored. Does that make sense? How are we doing? It's 10 o'clock in the morning. Really, it feels like 11. So you can handle a little more theology. So let's keep going. So, so ma- many of you might carry a view that God can heal and will heal today, but you're nervous maybe even afraid because of the abuse or pain associated with the healing ministry in particular. Because there are streams of Christianity that have said healing will always come and it will always happen as long as you have enough faith. Um, And that too is not a biblical view of the scriptures. So whatever your background is, I want you to have this biblical perspective at the garden. If this is your home, I want you to carry this biblical perspective. Here's what I think we should believe according to scriptures. The ministry of healing is ordinary and normative and is to be expected as apprentices of Jesus here and now, but doesn't always take place. Is that all right? That's probably the most biblical perspective of what we should expect as far as healing ministry today. And there are two foundational convictions that I want to go off of before we build our case for how to pray. So um, number one, as we talk about practicing healing ministry, there's some convictions that I carry that we carry, which will sound familiar. Number one, uh, to be a disciple of Jesus or an apprentice of Jesus, it means you are learning to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. Does that make sense? We've been doing a series called Practicing the Way of Jesus. The expectation is to be a Christian, um, is not just to believe the right things about God, but it's to be with Jesus in an ongoing loving relationship. It's to become like him in character and nature, and it's also to do the things that Jesus did, which includes healing. Second conviction is this. According to the scriptures, Jesus did what he did through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is so clear in the Gospels. According to the scriptures, the apostles did what Jesus did through the power of the Holy Spirit. And according to the scriptures, the early church, not just the apostles, guys like Philip and Stephen and others, 
did what Jesus did through the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's a list of church tradition, his historical, outside of the scripture, uh, scripture evidence of the miraculous powers of the early church that went on into church life. But the logical conclusion then is that therefore we can do what Jesus did through the power of the Holy Spirit. How are we doing? Building a case. Are you guys tracking? I feel like a lawyer right now, which never is good. But unless you are a lawyer, God bless you. Um, sorry, there's no connection. Why is there a connection to all of that? So the logical conclusion is this, what you see, and we've taken time to explain this in practicing the way of Jesus. So go back over the last year and a half of teaching. But what we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, we'll talk about in just a second, is that Luke and Matthew and Mark make it, and John make it so clear that Jesus is not some just um, drop down from the sky deity, but that he is fully human and energized and filled by God and he's fully God. And he operates in normal life in the power and ministry of the Holy Spirit. So when we say, why did Jesus do these things? We can't just say because he was Jesus. What Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John explain is he's Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit. Why that's important is because you get to Acts and the stories which we'll read are the same stories just now they're being done by ordinary people. So they're literally, in, in, in literary content, if we we're looking at the words and the structure of how it's written in the Gospel of Luke and then in the Gospel of, or, and then the Acts of the Apostles, what we see is the same structure. Jesus does this, Paul does this. Jesus does this, Peter does this. Jesus does this, Philip's doing this. And that's the point, is that the life and ministry and mission of Jesus continues on through ordinary people empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's why it's important. It didn't just die off. It actually continues on today. Does that make sense? Are we good? We'll hold questions for later, but that's a great observation. Now, here's a question. What did Jesus do? So if we are to continue the life and ministry of Jesus, if we're as apprentices to continue his ministry as ordinary followers of Jesus, what did he do? And there's a long list of things that he did in the scriptures, but I want to summarize it for you briefly. Matthew chapter 4, check this out. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. If you study Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and we've done this before, the Gospels, the way that they summarize the ministry of Jesus is really three things total. He preaches the kingdom of God, he heals the sick, and he casts out demons. This is the summary ministry of what Jesus did. So if we were to summarize the ministry of Jesus, what Jesus did according to Matthew and Luke, Jesus preached the kingdom, healed the sick, and delivered people from evil spirits. 20% of, the, of Luke's gospel are stories of healing. So more than preaching, there's healing and deliverance. Jesus spends more time healing than anything else. And there's some reason why, and here's why, this, why I'm getting here, because, okay, I'm gonna stay with my notes. Here's why. When, this is N.T. Wright. When Jesus healed people, he intended it to be clear that this wasn't just a foretaste of future reality. This was reality itself. This was what it looked like when God was in charge. God's kingdom was coming as he taught his followers to pray on earth 
as it is in heaven. And it's so hard for us to grasp this, and it has a lot to do with where our culture is at today. But healing was, was and is still the primary marker of the kingdom of God breaking in on earth as it is in heaven. And we're not just talking about physical healing. We're talking about wholeness, the restoration of shalom. Because you could say shalom was vandalized in Genesis 3. And Jesus is restoring that. And then he commissions his disciples to continue to restore shalom. That Eden was created and Adam and Eve were commissioned to spread Eden, the Garden of Eden, on earth everywhere they went over all creation and that got hijacked. But now we're commissioned back through the power and authority of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit to continue that Genesis mandate. How are we doing? So, question. If healing was such a large part of Jesus' ministry, what Jesus did, why don't we see or expect this within the ministry of the church today? And there's a lot of reasons for that. But I wanna present three reasons. Number one, secularism. Secularism is that system of thought that denies the existence or significance of anything religious. So this has been, um, Gordon Fee says this, only among intellectuals and in a scientific age is it thought to be too hard for God to heal the sick. David Hume, an 18th century philosopher, said a miracle is a violation of the laws of nature. This is probably gonna summarize it. Charles Kraft says this. He says, it, it is interesting and discouraging to know that even though we are Christians, our basic assumptions are usually more like those of the non-Christian Westerners around us than we would like to admit. Even though there's a wide discrepancy between the teachings of scripture and the common Western assumptions, we often find ourselves more Western than scriptural. Western societies pass through the Renaissance. Here's the, here's the lesson of history. The Reformation, the Enlightenment, and a wide variety of ripples and spin-offs from these movements. The result, God and the church were dethroned, and the human mind came to be seen as savior. So historically, Western culture has swam through these intellectual movements that's produced to the modern movement we live in, hypermodernism, post-postmodernism, this kind of structure of new thought, which still denies anything that's spiritual. If you can't see it or observe it, it doesn't exist. This is the secular mindset um, that we believe in. So one reason is we're swimming in a culture that doesn't believe it's reality. So most of us are not thinking God's gonna heal my boy. We're thinking I gotta take my son to the doctor, which you should take your son to the doctor. He's going to the doctor. I'm not advocating that. But we have been swimming in a culture that doesn't expect or anticipate healing. How you doing? The second Probably the most pervasive, and, le- and we don't talk about this enough, and I think we're gonna do a series on this, is cultural Christianity. What I'd like to just say is disguised as lukewarm faith that's gonna be spit out. There is a Christianity that is so present in the Western church that it's made Jesus in its own image. It's convenient, easy, made to make people happy, meet their consumer needs, and Jesus has been reduced to an accessory, an addition, or a weekly activity. He's, like, he's become like a subscription service providing distraction and entertainment and service goods that we turn off and on at our convenience rather than the king of our life that reconstructs, redefines everything else. Eugene Peterson says this, and pay attention to this because this is so provocative. The cultivation 
of consumer spirituality is the antithesis of a sacrificial deny yourself self congregation. A consumer church is an antichrist church. I'm gonna read that one more time. A consumer church is an antichrist church. We, this has inspired a series called The Antichrist Church, which I wanna teach this year. So we'll just get there um, later. Because I, anyway, so we can't gather a God-fearing, God-worshipping congregation by cultivating a consumer-pleasing, commodity-oriented congregation. When we do, the wheels start falling off the wagon, and they are falling off the wagon. We can't suppress the Jesus way in order to sell the Jesus truth. Let's let that settle for a second. Let me just step aside and speak prophetically for a moment. This is where we need to repent. Because it's so hard for us to see this because the Christian church in the United States has been married to consumerism and capitalism. We have branded the institution anointed by God and tied the success based on more, which is, by the way, the equation of a consumer society. And we are all participating in it. Now, there's ways that we can't deny this. Like, we can't help but buy stuff because that's the kind of economy we live in. But we have also equated our identity and worth and value in the same system of empire, but we are not of the empire. We are of the kingdom of God. And we are, we are not following the way of empire, which is an upward mobility. We are following the way of kingdom, which is a downward mobility, which is inclusive, which is a death to self, which is a, a serve others, not serve self, which is not consumer-oriented, but contributing-oriented. And, you know, what I see in Scripture is this is a moment where God is enlisting activists, soldiers for his cause of the kingdom, and we are too busy being civilians and consumers in the way of empire that we're missing it. And I I think God's stirring something in the church, not just our church, but churches around the world, to to highlight this reality, because as long as we're taking selfies next to the favorite bag or whatever it is we're doing, and missing that Jesus has to redefine our narrative, redefine our life, redefine family and work and success. We will never participate in the bringing of renewal of all things with God because the enemy's winning. He's making you think it's as easy as subscribing to Netflix and checking out and following Jesus should be as light and easy as that. Now, grace is that way. That's our ticket in. But he's expecting, what he's anticipating from you is to become a full participant to extend this to the ends of the earth. It's not to earn more favor, but to recognize the grace that is stored up like an ocean in your life. So start dispensing some of that water. Are we doing all right? How's it for you, B? Three. Other issue, why don't we see healing? I think it's so simple. Lack of real discipleship within the church. There's not, not a model teaching us that we should pray for healing. In fact, we don't expect disciples to live the way of Jesus. We expect them to participate in the show as spectators, right? No one taught me to pray for healing until I was a pastor. Nobody told me that we are called to do the stuff of Jesus today until I was working at a church. How is this possible? We're teaching our kids at the garden to pray for healing and share their faith. 
Because they're not people we're doing ministry to. They're partners in ministry now. How are we doing? So part of it is we need, to, we need to increase our expectations. So John Wimber said, we see according to our expectations. Many times our expectations come from conditioning. We are taught to expect certain things in the Christian life and miss what God is doing if he acts outside of our expectations. So brothers and sisters, increase your expectations. And the, I guess the second question then is, do we carry Jesus' expectations of reality? or cultural Christianity's expectations of reality. Matthew 10 says this, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out demons and to heal every disease and sickness. And he said in verse seven, as you go, proclaim the message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. This is, this is, a commission that we could say is, is not just for the disciples, but those who follow Jesus today. That he gives us power and authority to continue to do the things that he did. Um, there's a story I wanted to get to, and for the sake of time, I'm just gonna tell you. It's a very familiar story in Acts chapter three. Peter and John, it's right after the church is filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter stands up and preaches to the crowd. And, um, and then the next kind of scene after the church is beginning to grow and meet as a church is this moment where Peter and John, verse one, were going to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Let me read this because the reading of scripture is so important. Do you know this? That the public reading of the word is just as important, if not the most important thing I say today. It's the word of God. So all these ideas that I have, awesome. You know what's better than that? Just the scripture. And I want us to be lovers of the scripture. Last week we taught our pastors, our house church pastors, that we want to be people of the word and as a church we want to be committed to the scriptures. And I want you as followers to read along in the Bible every day with us. But we should recognize when we gather, it's not just this insight, these great hashtags or tweetable quotes, which is what's becoming of the church. I don't know if you notice. Let's get some great YouTube videos with some block letters coming out and making you get all inspired to go, go, take down. No, like, we gotta get back to the word. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he had been put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Because when you were paralyzed, you couldn't go all the way into the temple as a Jew. There were limitations to your participation in community because of your paralysis or any other conditions that were beyond perfect, according to Leviticus. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. A couple of observations. First of all, Peter and John were on their way to the temple to pray. They were not on their way to go heal. Almost every story in in the Gospels and in, in Acts are stories of on their way something happening. Can I just say, when you're on your way to work, when you're on your way to the coffee shop, those moments are actually the context for miracles. 
The content of the miracle in Jesus' time was always the context on the go, on their way, as they go. How are we doing? So the idea of a healing service is not necessarily, uh, that can be expected in the scriptures because we bring them to the church. James says that. That's the only place in the scripture other than the gifts of the healing being used in Corinthians. But the rest is disciples on your way, heal some people. But see this, you're like, ah, no, that's not for me. I don't have that gift. I'm not really extroverted. I don't really have that faith. You might not have the faith, but you have the commission. Second, Peter and John anticipated healing. This is probably the biggest disconnect, right? He reached down to grab him. That takes some courage. Courage. <laughs> Watch it. We're family setting here. 1115 is the PG-13. Um, he, he had to activate his own faith in some ways. He expects it. He anticipates. Third, healing ministry is the entire person. This moment, we have to recognize that it's not just about physical healing. Physical healing happens, but it's so much greater. Emotional, mental, relational, and spiritual wholeness. This is what Jesus comes to do. His ankles became strong, physical healing. He goes into the temple. That's relational healing because he was paralyzed and he was restricted to participate in worship. Walking and jumping and praising God. That sounds like skipping to me, emotional and spiritual healing in this one story. N.T. Wright says this, justice and peace are about putting things right in the world. But for whatever angle you look at Jesus, he was concerned not just with the outward structures, but with realities that, were, that would involve the entire person and the entire community. No point putting the world right if people are still broken. So broken people will be healed. Paralytics, epileptics, dem demoniacs, people with horrible skin diseases, a servant on the point of death, an old woman with a high fever, blind men, deaf and mute men, a little girl who's technically already dead, an old woman persistent hemorrhaging, and so on and so on. Matthew let, lets the list build up until we almost take it for granted. Yes, here's a person who's sick. Jesus will cure her. N.T. Wright's view of what Jesus is going after. A couple, one more observation. If Peter can do this, then so can you. Someone's like, well, why? Why do you say that? Well, here's why. Because throughout the Gospels, Peter is not a hero of faith. He's not described throughout the Gospels as a hero of faith. He is a companion right next to you for the journey ahead. Peter is not seen as a hero. He's seen in many ways, in every way, as the imperfect disciple. You see, Matthew 16, he gets it. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon. Blessed are you. This is revealed to you by God in heaven. And in the same chapter, Jesus then reveals that he's gonna die on the cross. And it says in the same chapter, Peter takes him aside and rebukes Jesus. It will never be that you die on the cross. And then Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon. He says, get behind me, Satan. That's a bummer. <laughs> Give us like a couple of chapters of Peter being the guy. I got it right. Got it wrong immediately. 
you go from number one to last place, even behind Judas at this point. Who knows? <laughs> Satan's a pretty harsh word. You can be an apprentice of Jesus and get it right sometimes and get it wrong other times. You can be a serious Christian who makes mistakes along the way. Can I get an amen? amen. Luke 22, Peter says, I'll never deny you, Jesus. The same chapter, the same chapter. He denies his friend three times. I never knew him. As he warms himself up by the fire as he's being questioned and beaten by the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees. Here's the point. Peter was not perfect, and he's still used by God. He shows us we, can, we too can do the things that Jesus did. Peter shows us the way of Jesus involves roadblocks, doubts, mistakes, failures, and at the same time, we can continue the life and ministry of me, uh, mission of Jesus here and now. And here's why. God simply uses the available. This is my greatest lesson and my greatest gift to give away. There's nothing special about me other than I said yes when I was 22. And I was naive enough to say yes. It was not faith. I, be, I don't believe it was faith. I don't think I had it at that point to the point I do now. Because I look back going, it worked out in my favor. And what do I mean? I had a sick wife and our health insurance was gonna end unless I moved to the city and maybe experimented with church planting. Do you know this? So for Alex and I, we were hearing God's voice, but it was the safest thing because it gave us one more year of health insurance. And in that time, during that time, God said, you got to plant a church. And then it became this thing that we couldn't let go of. But it was for us at first a safe place to go because it gave us one more year. Have you ever been there? Where like you're, you're like a mix of motives. Like there's some... God lightning inside of you and at the same time there's like this desire for fame do you think God can use it you're like no you have to be no you don't have to be perfect Jesus can be saying one moment blessed are you Darren and the next moment get behind me Satan <laughs> I have a friend Joe who went to India with us and Joe was new Christian from New Jersey, and you've heard him cuss on stage. So <laughs> I remember praying for this deaf guy, and I prayed and nothing happened. I'm like, Joe, come here. Joe prays, and the guy hears immediately and takes off running to tell his wife. <laughs> and later that night, I get a text message picture from Zach, who's there. That's Joe's text to a bunch of guys who are non-Christians back at home. And I quote, this Jesus stuff is blank-ing real. I have a guy named Jim who goes to our church, a friend who was new to the healing ministry. He himself got healed. And he hears about a friend who has got this mass on a lymph node that was swollen. He had cancer before. So he calls him up before a procedure and says, come over, prays for the guy. The guy thinks it shrinks. And then the next morning it wakes up and it's the, the day of his procedure where he's gonna have a biopsy. He goes in and he goes to lay down and he's in the room. Jim had prayed healing and he saw some, but the next morning it came back. And as the nurse is looking to scan it, she can't find the, the mass. The doctor comes in and he can't find it. The guy goes home, no mass. Now, Jim had prayed for a couple of people, but that was pretty much the most like, significant healing he's seen other than his own. Now that was at an office, that he prayed for him. My friend Zach 
is praying for a woman. Uh, God tells her him, him multiple times because he, he saw this neck brace. And this is what we gotta start doing, guys. We gotta start seeing those physical conditions as bullseyes, right? As opportunities to reveal God's love. So he's sitting there. God's like, you gotta pray for her, gotta pray for her, gotta pray for her. He doesn't do it. Like four times. He's just a coward. And... Um, <laughs> And then he's getting off at the baggage claim. I think this is how the story goes. And, and then he eventually prays for her. He's like, I should have done it multiple times, but I was a coward. And now I'm praying. Um, he wasn't a coward. He actually does it. And then he sees this woman in Seal Beach where he lives with no neck brace. And she's like, I got healed. It was on a plane. On their way home. All right. So. I was talking to a pastor about this in Long Beach. He's from Santa Barbara. I was walking around. He's ta- we were talking about healing ministry because recently we had seen all this healing. This is a couple years ago. I'm like, well, why don't we look for somebody who's in pain and we'll pray for them? Okay, let's do it. We pray for this one girl. Her headache goes away. He's like, oh, that's awesome. I'm like, no, I want to show you something better. Find this guy limping. <laughs> it, this is a moment where I had faith, right? And then I prayed for lots of people that don't get healed and my faith drops, right? Anyone else want to admit this? Yeah. All right. So this is me. Like a mixture of doubt and faith. Man, we're going so long. Okay, here we go. Um, are you guys okay? If you want to go, just go, okay? It's going to get good. Um, so this guy, Jamal, is limping. I said, hey, J- hey, what's your name? I'm Jamal. I'm like, what happened? Oh, I had cancer as a child. Oh, you're, you're limping because you had cancer as a child. Yeah, I was, and they took off some of my heel. So you're in chronic pain all the time. Yeah, since I was 14. All right. So faith level drops. <laughs> but I was taught when you're in those moments, pray and increase the expectation, turn up the risk. I said, well, I just believe God wants to heal you. I prayed for this girl who got her headache prayed, healed. Can we pray for your foot? Pray for it. It goes down. He says it's a three, from a 10 to three of pain. And then we pray again, and he starts running back and forth. And he goes, you got some magic powers. <laughs> and I go, Jamal, I have no power. Jesus healed you, and he wants to be in relationship with you. Do you want to give your life to Jesus? He said, absolutely, I've been backsliding. Committed his life to Jesus right there. I was on my way to get coffee. (laughs) Right? A $5 latte, lavender cardamom latte or something like that. No, I wasn't getting that, just black. But how many opportunities are we missing to reveal the love of God and the power and demonstration of his kingdom. Because God uses the available. Greater works than these in John chapter 14. To summarize, the Holy Spirit gives supernatural gifts of healing to the local church. To be a Christian is to do the things that Jesus did. Much of what Jesus did involved healing. You can, you can be imperfect and used in the healing ministry. God always and is looking to use the available. So if you agree with me, will you practice healing ministry? So let's summarize this with some, some steps. And I'm sorry it's taking so long. I just really felt this needed to be a, a more of a, a teaching for us. And we can put these slides on the website. Number one, if you want to practice this, if you want to step into healing ministry of Jesus, you must come to believe God desires to heal the sick and desires wholeness for his people. Two, you must live in the tension of the now and not yet reality of the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is available here and now, but not always fully. And we live in the tension. As I preach about healing, my son is sick. Some of you believe and see other people healed and have been suffering with chronic pain for years. This is because we live in a kingdom that's come and is still coming and it's not fully here and won't fully be here until Jesus restores everything once and for all. How are we doing with that? 
We have a theology of suffering and we have a theology of healing. We don't say you're not healed because of your sin. We don't say you're not healed because you lack faith or unbelief. That's not how it works. It's a mystery. And we live in a not yet reality, but we are people of the now. Those who are consistently effective in praying for the sick anticipate healing. That's what I've observed. Those who are consistent, effective in praying for the sick have compassion for the pain in the person they're praying for. Those who are consistently effective in praying for the sick are taking risks when they pray. Because remember, faith for you today, um, sorry, faith for you yesterday is not faith for you for today. And your faith you have for today will not be the same faith you need for tomorrow. So there's a dynamic in growing. So we recognize that as we start praying, Jesus is our model for praying. There's no formula. Jesus never once asked for healing to come. He never waited for healing to come. He, Jesus commanded healing to come. It's commanded. It's not the same thing as claiming it. Okay, so notice the difference. So Ken Blue says this, faith to be healed and to pray for healing can come to, to us just as it did to those who gathered around Jesus. As we look at Jesus in the New Testament and believe what we see, we find that free, the freedom to trust him, we see in him the character of the person we can trust with our entire beings. There is never any thought that we can demand healing or claim it from him, but there is a freedom to trust him for it because it is so obviously the very thing he wants us to do. So we don't claim it, demand. We come in his authority and we command like he did. So his prayers were really short. Check these out. I wanna give you a comprehensive list of prayers as you move on. All right, so these are Jesus' complex view, complex prayers. Take up your mat and walk. That's a long one. Go. Come forth, Lazarus, and be clean. So these are great models for you as you try to get complicated. Oh, Jesus, hear my prayer. Blessed are you, Father. All these things we can do, and it should just be real simple. So here's that model of prayer we started out with. Number one, as you move on in life, as we minister healing here, locate the person that's sick. Place a hand on their shoulder. You can place it on the area that is, in, that is needing healing as long as it's appropriate, Okay. <laughs> Can I just emphasize this? <laughs> Brothers and sisters, there is really one place that's appropriate in the garden in this gathering for praying, and it's the shoulder, okay? Not the chest. <laughs> Guys, not the chest or any other parts in the body. Let's just put it on the shoulder for now. Is that all right? There's some back, back story for that. I'll just leave there. Say, these are, these are the prayers. In the name of Jesus, be healed. This is, so, this is so crazy. In the name of Jesus, be healed. Or if you want to get fancy, talk about the, th- the area that needs to be healed. Stomach, be healed. Ask them if it feels better. This is going to take faith. and You want to hear it. Get some feedback. How are you feeling? Is your shoulder better? No, it's not. Okay, let me pray again. Why do we pray again? Jesus prayed a couple of times with the guy who was blind, right? Twice. Prays for the blind guy, rubs in his eye. What do you see? Trees like men walking or something like that. So if Jesus can pray twice, I can pray at least like 7,700 times for somebody. Okay, because I'm nowhere like Jesus. Lastly, we just keep going. So repeat the steps until there's an outcome. If there's no outcome, hopefully you're inviting them to experience the love of God and they feel love. We're not pressuring them. We're doing this gently. Is that okay? Close with this. Ken Blue. Healing in themselves, they prove nothing anyway. His healing acts are expressions of divine mercy to be received in faith. Faith to be healed means being open to God's love. Faith to pray for the sick means being open to reveal, to being a vessel of that love. As Thomas Mayo says, 
Power outside the context of love and truth is precisely that to which the enemy tempted Jesus in the wilderness and to which, for example, the church in Corinth is tempted again so, so that it has to be reminded that charismata, the gifts of the Spirit, exercised outside the context of love and truth are worth nothing at all. So the whole thing is about an atmosphere of love and revealing God's love. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.